please, Revelation chapter 22. We'll be reading verses 10 through 20. This will conclude our study of Revelation. I feel like I could go back through it again and not hit the same points. But we'll not do that. Next week we're going to crack open the book of Genesis and our worship hour. So we're in the book of the Bible with Revelation and we'll begin the books of the Bible with Genesis next week. Revelation 22, verse 10. And he, the angel, said to me, Do not seal up. He, the Lord, said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for, time, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city, enter by the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add him to the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from them, takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Father, we ask for your blessing as we finish up the study of this book. There has been so much here and so much to digest. We just feel like we've just tasted an appetizer. But as we study this on our own, may what we've done give us some insight and some understanding that we may know wisely how to live for you during these troubling times. We ask this morning as we finish up with some comments and some insights from these last words of the book, challenge us and encourage us, Father, Let us trust what you have taught us and let us trust your word for your words are eternally faithful and true. We ask this in the holy name of the Father 
and the Son, and the Spirit. Amen. We've mentioned this before, and we will mention it once more. Too many today in Christianity are waiting. Their, their basic understanding of revelation has been skewed, has been misdirected. And I hope that what we've done these past few months is to give you some clarity on what is in here and what it means and how it helps us. But too many are waiting for the events of revelation to begin. Once they begin, that is when they know to get ready for Jesus. That's essentially, they may not say that, but that is essentially how they are behaving. And scripture tells us that he is expected soon. So we don't need to do much, right? Let's not plan for tomorrow because he may be here and we'll just be wasting our time and our energy. Those are foolish thoughts and foolish words. We're not allowed to just wait. We are to be active. We are to be faithful. We are to be diligent to what the Lord has given us to do. I think I've mentioned it before that Martin Luther, in studying Revelation, said that if I knew, and there's no way to know, but he said that if I knew that the Lord Jesus was coming tomorrow, I would plant a tree today. If we knew the Lord was coming tomorrow, we, would, we should be catechizing our children today, teaching them the scriptures, teaching them the word of God, teaching them everything about, everything that he can possibly handle. Prepare them for the future, because we don't know. Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for time is near. The Lord told John, tell everyone what is in this book. What I have given you to tell, spread the word. The time is near. Now, this is the problem you and I struggle with. He uses the words like the time is near. He uses the word I am coming soon. I am coming quickly. And we're just, it's not quick enough. It, we're kind of like little kids waiting for Christmas. We're going on a trip with our parents. Are we there yet? A little further. Are we there yet? A little further. We have to evaluate that word soon by someone who looks at soon a little different. than We, we are bound by time. Time has begun at creation and it will end at judgment day. We are within this parenthesis of time. So we measure everything according to our perspective. God is infinite, limitless, and outside of time. What does soon mean to him? Compared to eternity, we're not even one molecule within the air in this room. So soon to him could mean something, in might be years for us, but a spark for him. So when we read, I am coming soon, or the time is near, it has to be defined by his understanding and not ours. We must be patient. We must be diligent. We must be faithful. 
Lord says, let the evildoer do evil, let the filthy be filthy, let the righteous do, still do right, and the holy still be holy. Well, wait a minute, preacher. I thought that all of this stuff was done. Yeah, visions were of coming judgment that has not yet happened. John, those were visions of what will happen, but until then, let the sinners still sin. I nearly ordered a t-shirt the other day. I think I might go back and order it. It says, Pagan's going to peg. Thought it was appropriate. But that's what he is saying here. The pagans are going to peg. The sinners are going to sin. Let them continue. Keep preaching the word. Do not seal up the book that I have given you. Behold, I am coming soon, being my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I would like to go through a quick, and I will move as quickly as possible, a review of the book of Revelation. I won't go into detail, but I think it would be helpful if we would just look at this. Revelation 1 through 3 We see that there are seven churches. And then after this, chapters 4 and 5 show us a, a view of the courts of heaven. And then there are seven seals that are revealed. And after the seven seals, seven trumpets. And then there are seven visions, one of a woman and child, one of Satan thrown down from heaven, a beast from the sea, a beast from the land. Lamb of God and the saints are sealed. We'll look at that very quickly angelic there is an angelic a vision of an angelic movement of judgment and then the harvest of the earth and the vine and then after that seven bowls and judgment judgment of the city of Babylon or Babylon the great or judgment of the world and the quite quite frankly, defeat of the beast, defeat of the dragon, and the end of death itself. So as we look through these quickly, we see the seven churches in Revelation, or this letter was written to those seven churches, the church of Ephesus, Ephesus Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Ephesus was given a commendation, you love Christ, but you've grown cold. Smyrna, your grace endures they weren't given any kind of criticism pergamon pergamus you keep the faith but yet you still tolerate sin sardis there are some among you who are faithful but sardis your church is already dead philadelphia perseveres faithfully that's the only church that get it was given any commendation and asked not to repent Laodicea, there was nothing encouraging about them. They had grown cold and indifferent, and the Lord said, you make me sick. Makes me want to spew you out of my mouth. So as we looked at these seven churches, we saw within them, these were guilty of growing cold in heart and the faithfulness to the Lord. And that is something we all need to watch for. You find that in every generation and in every church, this tendency to 
He doesn't move. We move away from him. We need to be aware of it. We need to be very careful of it. We need to be very diligent about it. Our own hearts, our own, our own faith, and our own walk. These churches were weak. They demonstrated shallow faith. They were more involved with the pagan world than with our loving, faithful Lord. So that's what we need to work on as Christians. When the heavenly visions begin, they move from chapter 4 through 22:5. And Christ gives us the book of Revelation in order that we may know and understand that these things are visions about things that were, things that are, and things that are to come. So many people think that Revelation is all future, but again and again and again, over and over and over, every time a set of seven visions is revealed, it is talking about past, present, and future. If we understand that, Revelation will begin to fit and fall into place and give us insight and help and hope. Each vision reveals as much past as it does the future. Each vision can be applied to and understood by every generation that reads it. We see the vision of the seven seals or how they are introduced. Chapters 4 and 5, John is given a vision of the courts of heaven. And within the glorious courts of heaven, a scroll is presented that has seven seals and no one is able to open those, has the authority or the power to open those seven seals. Only the Lamb was worthy to open the scroll. And Revelation 5, 9 says, They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals that you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. John begins, he gives us the first six of seven seals. And we talked about these. First four seals are horsemen, are depicted or displayed as horsemen in his vision. A horseman who comes to conquer, another who brings war, another who brings famine, and another who brings death. And then talks about there is always tribulation. So when you think about this, this is not something that we look forward to where we see horsemen riding in the clouds. This is a, what generation have you ever known that did not have conquest and war and famine and death? This is throughout all of history from the rebellion of Adam and Eve till his coming again. And it is... God, it is our understanding, it should be taken as our understanding that these are the consequences of our sin, that we reap everything we sow. If we reap violence, we sow violence. If we reap pain, we sow pain. And the fifth seal in this time of visions, or this series of visions, we are given another view of heaven with the martyrs faithful in glory, calling out for vindication and the Lord promises that it will come, but they need to wait a little while. And then the sixth seal is cosmic disturbances or coming vindication. The progress of 
conquest, conquering, famine, and death. All of us who are in Christ, who believe in the Lord, will suffer during this time. But then there are disturbances that are coming, that are going to point to a final judgment. Between the sixth and the seventh seal, there is a pause. And we see there that there are 140 representative numbers, 144,000 assured, or 144,000 of the Lord's sealed saints in glory. I have my complete number. It's more than 144,000. Please remember that that is just representative. And then the seventh seal, the seventh reveals seven trumpets. And again, we see a series of visions again. And this time, over the same historical period from the fall to the coming of the Lord, we see God's hand of chastisement, God's hand of judgment upon the sins of man. And they look different because they are from God's perspective. If you remember the story of Israel in Egypt, in slavery in Egypt, and how Moses came to Pharaoh and said, let my people go, and he would not let them go, so God sent plagues upon Egypt. Judgment of God upon a rebellious antichrist who wanted to persecute the children of God. Sound familiar? And in these visions, as these trumpets are sounded, we get a vision of hail and fire from heaven, just like in Egypt. A third of the sea became as blood, just like in Egypt. A third of the waters became contaminated with blood, just like in Egypt. The sun and the stars were darkened, just like in Egypt. Locusts from the pit, just like in Egypt. And we see a crescendo of things happening until a final war of judgment. And then again, chapters 10 to 11, there is a pause. And an angel appears with a little book, and he gives this little book to the Apostle John. And John is he's told to eat this book. And John eats it. It's sweet to his taste, but it's bitter in his stomach. The word of God is something that's sweet to us, and yet when it proclaims judgment, it is bitter to the world. We need to understand that, and we need to under accept that. And it also talks about two witnesses who were martyred. And the witnesses are eventually resurrected, but there was some discussion when we walked through this that we wondered who the witnesses were. There's been some speculation among others, among Christianity, that it might be Elijah and Moses. It might be Paul and, and, excuse me, and another apostle. But I suggested, and it makes very much sense to me, that is simply just the church and the word persecuted. We as the church are supposed to proclaim the gospel of Christ. We are supposed to share the word of truth. The world rejoices when we keep quiet and they are doing their best today to shut us up. And talks about the resurrection of two witnesses that there, there could be, there's other places in scripture that talks about some sort of renewal or ingathering or revival near the end times. 
that introduces the coming of the Lord. I'm flexible there. And then during the proclamation of the seventh trumpet, the kingdom is proclaimed. Revelation eleven fifteen, the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on the thrones before God tell on, fell on their faces and worshipped God. So we see... Seven seals that talk about the history of the world and ending in conquest of God's victory. And then we see seven trumpets who proclaim God's judgment upon the world and end in conquest of God's victory. And it's almost as if John steps back and shows a bigger picture of everything that's going on. In chapter 12, he talks about a woman a vision of a woman who has, been give, who has given birth and this child is pursuing her talks about war in heaven. We understand that war was with Satan, Lucifer, who was cast out from heaven, who persecuted this woman, who was trying to kill her male child, who was trying to kill, kill the Christ child. And there's also chapter 13, talk about the beast from the sea, described as a beast, but actually the political influence of an unbelieving population. Please understand, let me remind you, that we will not see some big monster coming out of the sea like Godzilla. What he is talking here is about a political influence, a social influence that is worldwide. But just so that you can get used to the idea, allow me to ask you a question. Has there ever been a generation in this world, in the history of the world, that did not present without some opposition to God. Has there ever? Opposition to God is what John describes as the beast and his influence. It happened in Babel. It happened to Egypt. It happened in Babylon. It happened in Persia. It happened in Greece. It even happened in Israel for a while. More closer to our time, it's happened in Europe, it's happened in Russia, it's happened in China, it's happening to America. This beast is at work even now. Political, social influences of this world are anti-Christ, anti-God, anti-truth. And Christians are being persecuted by it because of it. Revelation also describes a beast from the earth, which is the false prophet. A beast from the sea, the social influence of anti-Christ or anti-Christianity, and the beast from the earth, a false prophet, one part of the church or part of Christians who cooperate with the beast. Apostasy. And again, in chapter 14, there is a pause where the Lamb of God and 144,000 are sealed. Every time there is a cycle that intensifies in violence against Christianity or in violence against the believers, God pauses and assures his people, his children, 
says, I am still with you. I still stand with you. I will still protect you. I will not let you go. And we see it again here in chapter 14. The latter half of chapter 14 through 16, we see another series of visions, seven bowls of wrath. Again, we see a bowl that pours out sores. The sea again turns to blood. The water again turns to blood. You sound, sounds like this is kind of repetitious, but this is intensification of God's judgment as we move closer to the end days. Men are scorched by by the sun. There is darkness and pain. Euphrates, Euphrates is dried up, and then there is a pause. Again, in Revelation sixteen fifteen, Jesus gives a promise. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed are the ones who stay awake, keeping their garments on, that they may not go about naked and be exposed. And then when the seventh bowl is poured out, all of the earth is utterly shaken. Chapter 17. The harlot or the mystery of Babylon is revealed. It is just another description of the compromised church with the beast that is Antichrist. So we need to be aware that those who claim to be Christian, who aren't faithful to the word or who aren't faithful to the Lord, are part of the false lie that is proclaimed by the Antichrist. They're very much involved and cooperative with the beast and the Antichrist. Revelation 17, verse 6, John said, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw, I marveled greatly. But we do have great hope. In chapter 18, the Bible tells us that Babylon is fallen. And more recently, we saw that chapter 19, heaven rejoices and Christ appears on a white horse in victory or to bring victory. Chapter 20, the beast is finally defeated and bound, and the saints rule forever for a thousand years. And then there's the great white throne. In chapter 21, all things are made new, new Jerusalem, and the bride is revealed and described. In chapter 22, we saw last week there's a new heaven and a new earth promised. Christ gives us the book of Revelation in order that we may know and understand that these are visions about things that were and are and are to come. I'm thankful for our sake that most of it is past, that we have more to look forward to, or maybe not so much to look forward to, but we know that it is near. And we can understand what it explains to us when we look at this world around us. Every cycle of vision reveals as much past as it does in the future. Each vision can be applied to and understood by every generation. And as we saw earlier, as we began our reading, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy. Let the righteous still do right. And the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. Christ said, be sure everyone knows this. 
It's not over yet. And then he makes a declaration and a distinction. He declares, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. We can count upon that declaration. He is defining himself. He is describing himself. I began all things. I will bring all things to an end. I made promises in the beginning, and I will fulfill them in the end. And he have done, he's already done so much in salvation. He has orchestrated a salvation and redemption for us, and on the cross he declared, it is finished. Everything that we need for salvation has been completed in Christ Jesus, so everything that we hope for in this lifetime will also be fulfilled by Christ Jesus for his glory and for our good. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And then he makes a distinction, and we need to, we need to wake up. Verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. There are those who believe my word, my word that is eternally faithful and true. There are those who will wash their robes in in the sacrifice that Christ has provided by faith. But there are those who will not. The distinction comes clear when he says in verse verse 15, outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. There are going to be those who are saved in the end days, and there are those who are going to be lost in the end days. There are going to be those who are going to be redeemed at judgment, find themselves redeemed at judgment, and there are those who are going to be lost at judgment. It is heartbreaking to think about, but it's something we need to remember. Salvation is not universal to all. It is only to those who believe by faith, through grace. Verse 16 of our text, the Lord said, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. So the book of Revelation ends with a focus on the proclamation of the gospel. All of that's review. It comes down to this one thing. He has given us this in order that we may be very aware that judgment is serious. That the persecution of his people will be vindicated by his righteous sovereign will. But we need to let the people know. Sinners are going to keep sinning. Proclaim the gospel. The book of Revelation ends with a focus on the proclamation of the gospel. Look at verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, 
come. The Holy Spirit and the church have been, the church has been given a great commission. We're all very familiar with it. Revelation, excuse me, Matthew 28 and Acts 1, 8. The church was given a commission to proclaim the gospel to every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. And it comes to us through the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, through the presence in uh, His presence in our lives, and for the purpose of the gospel. So the Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. You don't know Christ yet, but you've just heard the gospel. It's called you to respond to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. No one is exempt if you've heard and received the word of the Lord and received Christ as your Savior, then you too are to share it. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. We began with very similar words this morning when Brother Larry read from Isaiah 55. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price come. His words are eternally faithful and true. We can look all over, all through the Gospels and find example, 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 example of our Lord himself. Matthew eleven twenty seven. 27. The Lord said, all things have been, given, been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. He is making a statement. I have the authority. Just like he is saying here in the Revelation. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end of the first and the last. Matthew, 20, Matthew 11, verse 27, says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The Lord of glory, the one who will judge the universe in the end, says, come. You know what will happen if you don't. He says, come. And right now, he is willing to receive gladly with open arms, with loving care, to wash you and make you clean. All you need to do is repent and believe. It is that simple. It is that clear. He continues with some warnings, and we'll be done pretty soon here. Verse 18 of Revelation 22, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and the holy city, which are described in this book. 
There's some people who think that Revelation is only talking about Revelation. It's not talking about the rest of Scripture. They suggest that the, the argument or the fact that Revelation is one of the last books added to the canon of Scripture kind of makes it the kind of book that stands alone. There aren't, very, there aren't any other apocalyptic scriptures in the Bible. And this one's a little bit different. But since it talks about judgment upon all the history of men from Genesis to the very end, it's got to be included with the rest of scripture. We've got to consider it as truthful and reliable and faithful eternally. What we just read, if anyone adds to the words of this book, God will add them to the plagues described in the, in the book. If anyone takes away from the words described in this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life. You look back in Deuteronomy chapter 4, the Bible says, You shall not add to the word that I command you, not take away from it, that you may not that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Very similar words. Don't add anything to it. Don't take anything away from it. Proverbs 30, verse 6, Do not add to this word, lest he rebuke you, and you be found a liar. How does someone add to the word of God? By adding to traditions of men. We talked a little bit about this in the adult Sunday school class. During the days of the scribes and the Pharisees, they added 800 traditions, over 800 traditions that had to be followed to determine a per person's holiness. And they said, you've got to keep all of these if you're going to be righteous. But God says, trust in the righteous provision of my son, the righteousness that he gives, and it will be yours. God says, I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy, of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book, of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies of these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. I need to ask the question. I've asked the question, how does someone add to the word of God? How does someone take away from the word of God? Quite simply, with failure to repent. I can believe in Jesus, but nothing in my life has to change. You're taking away from what God has asked of you. I prayed the prayer, that's good enough. If you remember the parable of the talents that Jesus told in Matthew 25, the landowner gave his servants, three servants, gave one five talents, two talents and one talent accordingly. The fifth one doubled what had been given him after the master left and went on a trip and came home and 
Give, a, give me an account. What have you done with what I have given you? The five returned five more. The master blessed him. The second one was given two talents. He gave two more. The first one was, the third one was given one talent. He did absolutely nothing. Look, here's the talent you gave me. I'll give it back to you. Matthew 25, 30. The master said, Cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What do you think the Lord was teaching at that time? If you're going to follow me, be faithful with what I give you. I give you salvation. I give you righteousness. I give you cleansing. Live Live accordingly before me. Live in holiness. Live in righteousness. Let your gratitude be the expression of your faith. This has been a very difficult book to find illustrations. And I hope that hasn't made it boring for you. But it's been challenging for me. If you have any questions, you are free to ask anytime. You can text me, you can write me, you can email me, you can stop me after church. But I hope this has been beneficial for each and every one of you. Let us pray. Lord, we're thankful for your word and its power over us. Let us be in submission to it always. Let us be faithful to you as we worship together and learn of you. Bless us this afternoon. May the time we spend with family and the time at home be a time that is restful and refreshing. We ask this in the name of our Savior. Amen. Let us continue to worship the Lord by the giving of tithes and offerings.